Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Prince Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the TalkHouse Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. I'm so excited to share this week's episode, which features a fascinating, deep, yet kind of low-key conversation between two really talented people that you might not have expected to be paired up here, Bob Odenkirk and Marcellus Hall. Now, I'm guessing most people listening to this podcast will know who Odenkirk is, a longtime comedian and writer. He and his pal David Cross gifted the world some of the funniest TV ever created in Mr. Show with Bob and David. And if that was the only thing Odenkirk ever did, it'd be plenty. But of course, the other really huge thing in his career is his portrayal of Saul Goodman on both Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, two dramas that stand among some of the best TV ever. And I haven't even mentioned his books, the movies he's produced and directed, or the many things he's starred in. Without Bob Odenkirk, there would be no motivational speaker Matt Foley from SNL or any Tim and Eric awesome show. He's a legend, and he probably wouldn't want me saying that, which makes him a legend even more. Bob has also been a huge booster for the things that he loves over the course of his career, including the aforementioned Tim and Eric, plus things like The Birthday Boys and the unheralded movie Girlfriend's Day, which he also stars in. And Bob has been a vocal fan of today's other guest, Marcellus Hall, for many years. Hall's music career goes back to the 1990s when he was the frontman of the band Railroad Jerk, a clattering blues punk outfit whose self-titled debut was one of the first albums ever released by Matador Records. Railroad Jerk is one of those bands that never quite hit it big, but those who saw them play live, I did once in Madison, never forgot it. After that band broke up, Hall started another band called White Hassle, and eventually started releasing albums under his own name while simultaneously enjoying a career as an illustrator. He's done a bunch of New Yorker covers and put out a really touching graphic novel a few years back called Kaleidoscope City. But this conversation was inspired by Hall's return to music after some years away. He just released a brand new album called I Will Never Let You Down. Here's a little bit of the album's title track, which these guys chat about. I will never let you down. In this lengthy and intimate conversation, which took place at Hall's New York apartment, he and Odenkirk start and end by talking about Jack Kerouac, and in between, they go a ton of interesting places. Sometimes these talkhouse chats really feel like you're eavesdropping, and this is definitely one of those. They talk about Hall's work as well as Odenkirk's, they dive into the notion that it gets harder as you get older to find a spark of inspiration. Odenkirk admits to some feelings of imposter syndrome, even after all of his success, and they both come across as guys who are still seeking, even after all these years. It's contemplative, but I think ultimately inspiring. This may be the last podcast you hear Odenkirk on for a while, as he's decided to stop saying yes to quite as many things as he did in the past. I love that, too. So get yourself some headphones and give this one your full attention. You won't regret it. He was a crackpot when he was older, but he wasn't a crackpot. He was cool as fuck. Right. He was in, like, um, Kubrick movies. He was in um, Dr. Strangelove. But he's also in The Godfather. He's the police captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that scene in the Italian restaurant. So you know what's crazy? And I've just, I'm literally on page, I just read the uh, preface. Okay. And I just started, you know, reading. First of all, he's a great writer. Wow. Sterling Hayden, if you're just listening, if you're just catching up with us. <laughs> Bob Odenkirk, Marcellus Hall. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. Yes, we're here in my living room. Uh, here in the living room with a great view. 
you got an incredible balcony view. Thank you. Do you ever just lucky. sit out there? <laughs> Never. Yeah, I do. I, I do. Isn't it weird about balconies? No. <laughs> I just moved here uh, uh, like last year. So oh, really? In the summer, I was having breakfast out there. It was amazing. Absolutely. Look at that. And the birds come right up to it because you're at their height. Mm -hmm. The uh, city sparrows. In my old apartment, they, were, they would come to my balcony and make love. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That was a little annoying. Where was your old apartment? Just uh, a block. A block away. This is a great building. I think so. I like it. It's and a co-op. I, like, I like where it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know this neighborhood? Not really, but sometimes when I get a bike, I ride around and this is a neighborhood I've ridden around in. There's a deli around the corner that looks pretty good. Koliaks or something. Oh, uh, Kosars? Kosars. Kosars. Yeah. It's kind of celebrated. Uh, is it good? I don't know. Uh, You're not that into it. Right. I mean, it's like uh, people go there to get um, bagels and things. No, what's wrong with that? Nothing. <laughs> you just don't think it's as good as it could be. No, I'm not a bagel connoisseur is what I mean. Oh, I, I don't I don't go out and get bagels. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what were we talking about? Sterling Hayden's book, right. Wanderer, which I just got and cracked open that I Wait, know you would love. I'm going to write that down. How do you know I would love it? Because I do. Because you do. <laughs> Sterling Hayden. Okay, got it. But there was, a, I think, an early Kubrick so the, movie that he was in that I was amazed about. And he's in... Um, Dr. Strangelove, but he may be in an earlier right. one as well. Right. He's in a lot of movies. Right. For a guy who yeah. was a sailor. Was he? Like, left school, did not finish, like, high school, left, became a sailor, loved sailing, was in a photo spread about sailors in Life magazine or something. This is after And somebody the war. in Hollywood saw it. Yeah. No, this, yeah, this is after World War II. Uh-huh. And went, can you come out here for a screen test? Oh, Wow. That's amazing. Not an actor. Right. Comes out, gets a deal. Right. Total, like, I never asked for any of this. <laughs> I was doing what right. I loved, right. being a sailor. Rags to and riches. And you, you gave me a phone call. Okay. And then all I want to do is make $5,000 so I can buy this boat. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then I can get the hell out of Hollywood. This is, you learned this on Wikipedia? Um. No, I, I'm flipping through the book and stuff, but it, I just started oh, it. It's like his memoir, you mean? Yeah, it's his memoir. Oh, okay, cool. And he's a great writer. That's Great awesome. writer. Yeah, yeah. So huge adventures in his life that, um, you know, like periods in Hollywood, you know, up to 10 years, it seems, maybe even a little bit more, but then years just sailing around the world with his family. Wow. Like, like his later years? Both. He yeah. like went back and forth. He right, went right. back to Hollywood for another few years. Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. he left again. He talks about life, uh -huh. you know, it's just so, it's so broken out of the mode of the thinking that you're just raised with. He, he does say we need people to stay in one place so that I have somewhere to go to mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> on my voyages. Like, but he's kind of saying you're out of your mind for growing up somewhere and then going to school the way your parents expect you to, and then getting a job and staying in one place till what? You're retired? Yeah. And then yeah, you're yeah. going to see the world? Right, right, right. When you're 65 and your knees and hips are going, right. now you're going to see the world? Right. No fucking way. Yeah. But he does, he does in one sentence acknowledge that you need some people to do that so that there's see, a city for someone, him to visit. Someone to go, to go home to or whatever. Which leads us to Jack Kerouac. Right? Which leads us to, hold it. Which leads us, where's my phone? Fuck. You left it. No, no, it's here. 
It, I, I, there's a quote. It's from the New York Times uh, that I took a picture of. Sometimes I take a picture of stuff I'm reading because I want to remember. Me too. Or if I'm listening to an audiobook, you know, you can... Oh, voice memo? You can, no, take a picture of the where you're at in the chapter. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to find this. Who was it who was talking about Catcher in the Rye? Oh, God. Oh, man, it was so great. What an asshole. <laughs> I didn't fucking take a picture of that. She was talking about Catcher in the Rye mm. and how I, I loved it so much. It was about the rye, the field of rye, mm. being childhood. And he wants to keep everybody and himself from becoming an adult. Right. You know. It's, yeah, it's kind of the the thrust of the book, right? Right, it is. Although I never understood that metaphor as clearly as that. but you I made, never did either. You just made it clear to me. No. <laughs> than I did. Um, I just recognized it as I want to protect people, especially children. I want to protect them from the ravages of being, you know, in the world. Yeah. But I never understood it more specifically as childhood. Right. And it's about um, empathy. Yeah, and 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 everything about being a kid versus being a jaded adult. Right. And uh, and anyways, it's a great paragraph about how it can be hard to relate to some things, which is a, our conversation. I thought because I saw uh, you you have the book Jack Kerouac Desolation Peak, which uh, is another thing I love Jack's work so much. Mm. Still do. Me too. I just eat it up. But that, that pegs us as something. I won't hear what you say, what you have to say about that book. But also I just finished, actually, I didn't read that D Desolation Peak, which is his journals or, or notebooks or something from when he went to that uh, mountain. But uh, the other book I just finished is Jack's, it's called Jack's Book, which is an oral history, which was amazing. It's to your left on the couch. Barry Gifford, yeah. And yeah. Lawrence Lee. Yeah, yeah. Barry Gifford, I know. Oh, you do? Yeah, I've read this too. Yeah. Not for a long, long time. And there's some footage of those guys in the late 50s just hanging out in the East Village uh, really? on YouTube. It, really? It's in color. It's amazing. What? Yeah, but it, there's no um, uh, audio, but it's just fascinating. Like, I'm, I'm watching it, and, and you, you feel like you're there. It's right there on um, 3rd Avenue. And um, Can you pop it up? Yeah, yeah. Um, can. You know, Kerak was so important to me. Me too. Marcellus, I wanted to be him. I stole On the Road. Oh, that's the only perfect. Bo only book I ever stole. You know, but some bookstores hide his books because people steal them all the time. Really? Did you know that? I did not they, know They that. keep them behind the counter. Of course, it feels like it's in the spirit of yes. the book to steal it. Right. To not participate in the <clears throat> system. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I took it. I worked at Barnes & Noble uh, and Fox Valley Mall when I was a kid a great bookstore and, and job to have when you love books. Uh -huh. And I worked there for about a year, year and a half when I was in my first year of college. I went to college when I was 16. I love oh. bragging about Ahead that. Of everybody, it makes me yeah. sound smart, but I'm not smart at all. How did they get? It's just like some- I've never seen this. It's like some home, home, you know, home yeah. movie footage. Oh my God. You can recognize the buildings behind them and- Wow, I've never seen this man. And there he's, he is pushing that baby. He's not too sober, I think. No, that. he's completely <laughs> destroyed. But this is right, I think this is 59, like right after he became famous. So what if Jack was alive today? 
Would he have gone to rehab and started watching Tony Robbins tapes <laughs> and running, uh, being like the lead in the marathon, the New York marathon? Our leader today, mm. Jack Kerouac, starts the race. He's Probably. fresh out of rehab. He's <laughs> How are you doing, Jack? <clears throat> I feel great. I'm writing like crazy. <laughs> I've really taken Tony's uh, three steps to success to heart. Um, but these are great. This is a great piece of film. Yeah. yeah. But did you, so what did you do? You stole the book and then? Uh, no, I was only tortured and uh, tempted. But when I was 16, I read On the Road and I absolutely loved it. I grew up Catholic. Me too. Which probably is a, part of connecting with yes. all of his writing. Yes. When I was 16 also, I told my mom, you know, I, I can't go to church anymore. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't believe it. You're right. You can and, go without believing, though. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. Well, I obviously, I did that for the first <laughs> for 16, the first 16. Years. <laughs> Yeah. But after 16 years, I wasn't getting more <laughs> swayed. Right. Actually, I feel like when I was a little kid, I did believe it. Yeah. Yeah. We try I tried. I remember laying in bed and uh, picturing, you know, the devil. And yeah. you, of course, you hear magical stories when you're young, um, you know, uh, things happening, you know, saints and, yeah. you know, and Miracles. statues moving. Yeah. I remember I, hearing a story about a statue that somebody had like transgressed for the billionth time and the priest said, I, I won't absolve you. I, mm -hmm. This is too many times you've come in here to the confessional booth. But then the statue above the guy in the confessional raised its arm <laughs> and blessed him. And, you know, when you're a kid, that is absolutely real to you. Mm -hmm. And then they make these little film strips. I don't know if you saw any of them or even movies. Martin Sheen was in one of them. Martin Sheen was in... Did they ever show you movies? In no. Catholic? No, I didn't have a strict Catholic upbringing. I but, did. Uh, okay, you did. My yeah. parents did. Yeah. But I do remember when the priest would say, we, we lift our hearts up to the Lord or something. I remember physically trying to lift my heart up to the Lord, <laughs> taking yeah. things literally. Yeah, but those things can be real to a kid, right? Like yes. we we're talking about kids' books, and you made some, and the images you put in a little kid are can be extremely real and mm. and powerful. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about religion, it kind of you could say worked for me when I was five, six, seven. You know, um, it was it was real to me, um, and I don't think that kind of ever leaves you. Some of it is so deeply in, yes. in, in, implanted. Like what? Like, <clears throat> like the, the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, I'll never forget that. <laughs> yeah, like I can say that. And Backwards. Do, yeah, and, and find myself saying it. Yes. Uh, this is an embarrassing thing to talk about weirdly, <laughs> but I really do. What? Oh, you do say it yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You mean like it gives you succor? Well, I don't know if I choose to say it. It just comes oh. out of my deep right. uh, subconscious right, right. that starts being said. That's cool. And there's some good things about Catholicism, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the whatever, the pageantry, the rhetoric, or the, 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 I know the music, the art. By the way, what? I don't like the art of it. I don't like the pageantry. What? <laughs> I mean, Catholicism gets but a I bad rap this, for that, right? I hear, But I hear it all the time, actually, yeah. Marcellus. When I hear people talk about what they love about the church. Yeah. They always talk about the mass and yeah. the yeah. procedural of it yeah. and the artwork. And I'm like, 
Actually, I don't think it's that good. I like modern art way better. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, give yeah. me an Andy Warhol over a stained glass. Yeah. You know, it's it's more, it has more life to it. It has more. Like Campbell's Soup Can does, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it has commentary. Uh, I love the cheekiness of Warhol. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love humor. Yeah, me too. And it has humor. Right, and it's, Catholic art maybe has no humor. There's no humor. Wait, there's got to be some, though, somewhere. There's, well, I, that, I'm not going to argue that, for the it. The woman but. who repainted the painting in Italy, that counts as Catholic humor. Who's the artist? What's her name? I don't know anything about this. Uh, it's a local woman in a Italian like uh, chapel who the um, iconography was getting old, and she well, <laughs> she she offered her services, uh-huh. and she uh, she made a monkey it. out of him. It says <laughs> monkey Jesus. Well, that's not nice. I no, mean, she didn't. Not. She honestly was doing her best. Oh, okay. Uh, and she's a sweet like lady, I think, who whose feelings were really hurt by everyone being uh, critical. But my point is that made me smile. <laughs> okay, right. But we were talking about Kerouac and Catholicism right. and uh, and why you and I are drawn to Kerouac. Yeah. But also, don't you think, don't you think. Don't you think. When you have these heroes. Yes. And they go as far off the rails as Jack did. Mm-hmm. And I'm joking about him listening to Tony Robbins, right? Yes. But would it be so bad if Jack had gone to uh, a better rehab and had listened to a Tony Robbins tape and then used it to motivate himself in a very superficial way, but every day to jog or run. No. And maybe he had written two or three more books. Yeah. I wonder if there are examples of people who were close to going off the rails that that saved themselves (laughs) somehow, right? But we have a lot of heroes that have self-destructed, and maybe that's part of their appeal, right? But that's not a part of the appeal for me. I no. would say I don't. No, I don't I love don't, that either. I don't idolize what Jack did with his later years. No, I, me I, I absolutely don't think it's necessary. No. I, I don't think it makes his work more truthful because he killed himself no. in a slow, grinding way. No, but there, there's something about his uh, youthful exuberance, right, in his early writing, which is so infectious. Right. And then suddenly he became. Uh, jaded, uh, uh, disillusioned, whatever, and, and annoyed and, and gave up and drank himself to death. But some, some part of that is also relatable, isn't it? As, as we get older, um, I'm just speaking for myself, you know, like I can feel these, these uh, losing some of that innocence, you know? So maybe yeah. that part of that story uh, is, is interesting to me anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Um, You're saying he, it might have been better if he... I mean, first of all, I'm enjoying just looking at this. Part of the reason I'm enjoying it is um, it's Desolation Peak. You said Jack Kerouac's um, diary from when right. he was on the firefighting yeah. Um, mountain. Yeah. You know, he was on the, he was a fire watcher yeah. in uh, Northern California. Or Washington, maybe. Yeah, well, maybe Washington State. Um, there's also a piece on, in, on YouTube about this, uh, about that fire's peak uh, mm-hmm. life or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's very desolate. Yeah, It really is uh, a tough thing to spend as many months as he did yeah. alone up there. Right. Anyway, I'm, I've been grappling with my quote-unquote journal. <laughs> Your own journal. And like what to write in it. Because there are times when I just write... Uh, you know, it's basically talking to your therapist, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. torturous 
deep personal struggles. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you kept a journal. And then you stop because you go, this is for no one. And there well, was a time when I was doing drawings. Yeah. I'm not a good artist as you are, um, but I liked doing it and trying to do it. And that was really great because I know this. Of all the journals that I've kept, the ones with the drawings in them, those are the ones your grandkids will want to look at. Because, <laughs> oh, look at grandpa's drawings right. <laughs> of life, people he knew. What is, is that what you drew? People? In, oh, people, yeah. Things mostly. from life, not from your head? Y yeah, well, sometimes from a photograph right. of the day or That's something. That's cool. But then I've been, got back into journaling to try to do personal, you know, revelation. Yep dealing with turmoil yeah. uh, inside. And then now, a few months ago, I went, okay, enough of that. I threw out all my journals. Okay, so I used to want to be Jack out. Kerouac. Okay. And I kept a journal right. for years, yeah. probably for seven or 10 years. Right. And then I kept those journals yeah. because Jack's writing is a lot like journal writing, yeah. Yeah. even in his novels. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to copy him, you know, but at some point I chose comedy and I started writing comedy sketches, but I kept writing my Jack Kerouac journals. <laughs> and then somewhere when I was around 31, oh no, I was more like 35. And I took them all and put them in the garbage. Man, that's a big step. Because it was a big I, step. Right? Do yeah. You, I, I was going to say, do you have any regrets? But I'm sure you'd say no. But I have I have, I have some journals. regrets. I think those, um, reading those might give me a little more empathy for myself as a young yeah, person. Yeah, right. Because I, I was just rereading my old journals from 20-some years ago and because I was working on a memoir of my own mm -hmm. about the indie rock world oh, and yeah. uh, trying to um, excavate that old time, that old self. So I, I'm glad I didn't throw mine out, but they were uh, cringe, as some of the people say these days. Oh, I think the ones I wrote three days ago are cringe. Cringe, yes, I know. But And I, I noticed that in mine, I often um, repeat myself over the— over the years, like then suddenly I'm able to discern what patterns I have. You know what I mean? So it is absolutely, like therapy. Absolutely, Marcellus. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and and this, I, I know I keep jumping around, but I'm going to bring up another thing. It's a book called Overthinking. Uh -huh. And I've started, I sampled it on the Audible, you know, and he talks a lot about trying to grasp your patterns of thought mm -hmm. in this book. And I think there's something to be said for a journal helping you to look at patterns of thought. I can't highly recommend it. It was just free on so don't write Spotify. It no, I'm, no, I'm, feel free. No. <laughs> Overthinking. Feel free. By the way, Thank you. years ago, I was on a, on a set and uh, my favorite actor, maybe of all time, Anthony Hopkins, was part of this movie. And uh, I got to see him work. I didn't say hi to him or anything. Mm. And... Uh, in the course of chatting with my friend who was in the movie about Anthony Hopkins and his life and how he lived, he said he's always reading three books, mm -hmm. fiction, nonfiction, and a self-help book. Wow. And I thought, what does he need a self-help book for? And also yeah. self-help books are kind of pathetic, I right? can't read those, yeah. But I got to say, Marcellus, I think he's right. Why not right. pick up the dumb fucking book? And if you get <laughs> one thing out of it, yeah. And then throw it back in the slush pile of shit. Yeah. You know, who gives a shit? But it's, they're so hard. They're, they're so, so badly written. They're so badly written. And they're also, but they're they're so ubiquitous. They're so yes. easy to get yeah. a hold of. You don't need to spend any money. Yeah, I guess. Library. Library. <laughs> Goodwill. <laughs> Goodwill. And why not put it by the toilet? 
Yeah. And get one goddamn thing out of it. One nugget of wisdom. Yeah. And and, uh, and that's my theory on on that. Anyway. Well, have you read, I mean, Let's I don't want to go down that road. Because but, I want to say yeah. the one thing that you lose when you come out of the rye, the field of rye, is a certain um, Je ne sais mystical quoi. love for an interest in life. Yep. And I think that how you get older... And try not to lose that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is a real battle. And I think some Jack people, lost it. Yep. Jack and some Kerouac people don't even it. realize it's worth saving, right? And holding on to, right? It just yeah. slips away. But you, I mean, I think you're right. I'm conscious of it, and you are too. You must be, because I see that <laughs> Billy Joel wrote his first song in like 17 years that he came out. Oh, on really? Spotify. Okay. And I, not that I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. I like him as a person. And yeah. his journey has been interesting to watch. Yeah. But um, it gets harder to oh, yeah, right. imagine and put yourself into a metaphor that can help become a song or a story that mm. other people can share in yep. as you get older. Yep. I mean, old guys. What do old guys read? <laughs> World War II, I was just going to say Civil War, but yeah. I mean, you could World have War a II. Hitler, I don't know if there is a Hitler channel. I know there's I'm a sure history there channel, but it's essentially the Hitler channel. <laughs> right, right, right. I love how the how, uh, t uh, Tony Soprano in The Sopranos is always watching those, Yeah, you know. Yeah. But that is an, an old man thing, right? It is. Hey, listen, I'm reading so many <laughs> memoirs, and I find it a little harder to read fiction. Are you reading any fiction now? Uh... I am reading Claire Keegan's book, Foster. Mm. It's a very short book, and I will finish it shortly, uh, although I'm taking my time with it because she's so great. Uh -huh. I don't know her. Um, you would love her work. Do you read classics? I started Moby Dick when I was shooting this show. This, I, I did a show called Lucky Hank, uh -huh. and I really loved doing it. One of the reasons I loved it was I played an English professor, uh -huh. and so all the sets were just chock full of books. We were set in a college. Right. So in between takes, I could just walk around. There it was. Oh my God. Mm. Thousands of books. And you're on a set with them. With it's like chairs. a library. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, from now on, I only want to do roles that are <laughs> right. college professor, right. English lit, and or set in a library. Because <laughs> mm. mm -hmm. in between takes, cut. All right, we're going to reset the cameras. Boom. Any book you want. Yeah. And I started reading Moby Dick. How did you and like I was it? surprised. I loved it. Yeah. And I was surprised to find it was funny. I didn't. It I'm is gonna. funny. I love it's that. It's funny. It's funny as fuck. Yeah. There's all kinds of little things in there that he's just like winking at you and you're just like, whoa. I wondered what was the fascination <clears throat> with it. Why is it called the first real American great novel? Mm -hmm. I think it's Hemingway because of the humor. That. Yes. That's oh, Hemingway said or, that. I think he said that. Yeah. About that book. Yeah. I think it's because of the quote. humor. I think it's because of the smart ass <laughs> fucking. Narrator. Mm. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That makes it American. It's like um, critical, s snarky. Mm -hmm. But the right? whole thing is is uh, massive, right? I mean, it's it's all well. Maybe you haven't. I just finished. started it. I probably but, read it for you know like yeah. three chapters. I really like. Yeah, the first. It. I'm gonna read it. But you know, there are big. There are whole chapters about like the anatomy of a whale. Totally scientific, which are really boring, but uh, contribute to the whole of the book in a weird way. It's like a big grab bag or a smorgasbord of whatever mid 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 nineteenth century whaling, but it's very American because of that, I guess too. 
let's talk me and you a little bit more about what it's like to try to maintain some sense of yeah childish you know, uh, child, creativity or childish not childish creativity no. romance myth making romance yeah because you were talking about um yeah creating that world or something I was thinking about that too before you came today about the the act of creativity is creating your own myth in a way by the way this is a great one which the one some traveler yeah yeah my favorite Kerouac books are <laughs> On the Road. Yeah. This one, Lonesome Traveler, is like number three. And Dharma Bombs. Not Dharma Bombs. No. Um, it's one of the last ones he wrote. I'd have to see the list. Oh, uh, Big Sur, maybe? No, Big Sur is great. Crack Up. Or Big Sur is great. Yeah. It's one that nobody ever references. Mm. I'd have to see. Oh, it. like um, it's it's actually a memoir. Well, they all about are about his really. brother or something. It's kind of about his childhood. Uh -huh. um, which one? It's like uh, Big Sur. Vanity of right Delos. Yeah, Vanity of Delos. Is that the, that's yeah. the name of one of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I read that. Yeah, I remember loving that one. Mm -hmm. I mean, I read a lot of Jack, but uh, I think I I both find it hard to read him again, and also find it really. Worthy, like exact. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what's missing from my adult life, and after all I've been through, it's what, is? what gets beat out of you. Um, that excitement about life, right? Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's exactly. It is filled it is. with the vitamin <laughs> or whatever serotonin yeah. chemical that drains yeah. from your brain and body and soul as you live. <laughs> and it sounds so negative, but it's. That's true, right? But I remember not. It's not that Jack Kerouac actually gives it to you, but I remember feeling it, and he was he was right. echoing it back to me. You know, like I remember he was speaking my truth or whatever. Right. You know, as a young man. Did you right. also get into Henry Miller? Not really. Um, I did read some of his stuff, but I didn't get into it. Um, but I remember reading Jack Kerouac and driving to my job at the mall, or driving. It was a big deal to me to go out to DeKalb. Illinois, mm -hmm. where my friends were at Northern uh, Illinois University, and uh, thinking about just keeping my foot on the gas and keep going. <laughs> and then right, when right. I was at Marquette University, standing under the highways where yeah. they all converge, yeah. and you walk down there. I don't know if you could anymore, but and and feeling like I want to hit that road, and but, and then and then tooling around Ireland. Which felt like a look. I'm a suburban kid. I'm from Naperville, Illinois. I <laughs> don't really want to do heroin. No, I don't want to get in the wrong neighborhood and get beaten to death <laughs> and laughed at <laughs> in my obituary. <laughs> right. This dummy walked down <laughs> where he didn't belong, uh, <laughs> but I really wanted to break out yeah. and go and and do what Jack did and. I really did, but I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, I only did my um, I did. weaker versions. Yeah. Tell me about um, it. Well, basically, I, I hitchhiked a bit, and uh, I wouldn't do it now, but I did hitchhike from New York to Minneapolis, and I also hitchhiked from uh, San Francisco to Seattle. What years? Um, like when I was um, 22. Oh, you wrote a book about it. I have that book. Yeah. The, I like that Illustrated. Book. Um, yeah. yeah. So that was my- Say the name of the book. Um, You're a terrible promoter. It's called- Jeez. It's called hitchhiking, but I don't think it's available. It's just this um, small it's really print. Great. Thanks. Beautiful. I was trying to, yeah, just re recapture that that moment when I was infatuated with 
you know, the Kerouac and the uh, being on the road and that freedom. If it makes you freedom. feel better, I don't know if you've seen John Waters' book about hitchhiking. Uh, John Waters, the filmmaker? Yeah, yeah, but I don't remember the from book. Like, yes. From Baltimore to I LA. Haven't. Of course, it's a more modern world and it's less yeah. entrancing. But go yeah. ahead, tell me about no, it. You did what I dreamed about. Well, you know, I, I certainly didn't live Jack Kerouac's life, but I dipped my toe in and hitchhiked a bit and... <sighs> And it was exciting. It was exhilarating, but it was also boring and lonely and um, pure drudgery standing around waiting for a ride. And, and some of the rides were so boring and awkward and uncomfortable. There were some men who wanted to have sex, you know, and I had to decline and or, or <laughs> I, and I, I didn't have to, but I did. And I uh, so it made me realize that maybe Jack Kerouac's experience was just like that, too. You know, he romanticized his life, though, and made it awesome. But what a different world he was in. I mean, I don't want to make excuses for why we did, well, well, you did some version of that, but I didn't. But it was a different world coming out of World War II and... Safer, maybe? Is that what you mean? Like, because sometimes I... Well, it was safer. I push back on that idea that... You don't think it was safer? No, it it probably was. Yeah. Uh, But I push back on when people romanticize about the past and think it was better or something. But actually, I do that all the time. I do romanticize the past. Well, the only place I hitchhiked was Ireland. Yeah, okay. When I first went to Ireland, I I only hitchhiked around for about two weeks. And, you know, that's a very safe place. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There there don't seem to be many hitchhikers there anymore. I was there a few months ago uh, driving around. Mm-hmm. But there used to be a lot. That used to be a yeah. very legitimate way yeah. to get around, as it was in America. That's the other thing is so, when Jack yeah. did it, it wasn't outside of the box. It was a normal choice you could make to get mm-hmm. from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Just 20 years after the Depression. Yeah. When everybody was rambling. <laughs> yeah. Right? Rambling around. I did oh. it in Ireland, too, uh, a little bit when I was there as a student. And I remember, and so there you go. You remember it was very, you know, accepted. It felt natural, yeah. Very accepted. Yeah. But of course, you're on an island. Where are you going to go? If you're a bad person, you're going to get caught within three hours. Exactly. The thing is, you know, I mean, I guess from top to bottom is probably more like a six-hour drive, right? Six to seven hours. So you've got seven hours to get away. <laughs> right. It's any, any crime, the police can look at their watch and say, we have seven hours. Right. He, or rather, he has seven hours to get away. Let's go. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the Talk House podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of Talk House is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. 
The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. You just put out a new album. Yeah. And a great new video, which I love this video. Which one? I'm talking about the one you just sent me. I will. I will always be true. Or I will, oh, uh, <laughs> I will never let you. down. I will never yeah. let you down. Yeah. God, I loved it. Thank it's you. so great, and of course, reminds me of the Picasso movie. It's supposed to. Yeah. As it, it's that. <laughs> I'm glad you got that reference. Yeah. Yeah, I showed that to my kids when they yeah. were little because I love. Oh, that, that movie. yeah, right. It's called Life know. with Picasso, or Something I am. Like Pica- I am Picasso. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's a great movie. Yeah. It's great. I saw it in like film school and then I got it. I should have it at home on DVD still. Um, I did, yeah, I, I always thought of it as such just a great movie. A bunch of clips of him doing it. No, it's, it's, it's a, a real movie. movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I forget, but I just. Yeah. And isn't it great? Yeah. And we were trying to replicate that. And you with, did. With my- so go on YouTube. I will never let you down and watch it. How did you do the part? I, I have a guess where it's the drawings are sped up, but you're singing in time. Uh, we slowed the song down really slow. Really slow. Yeah, that must I mean, be well, three very... times, three times slower or something. It's not. It's it's weird, but it's not that weird. It's doable. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful video and great Thanks. and and really just a brilliant thing. Thank and of you. Of course, Matt. only you could do it because you're actually an artist. Well, I'm trying to you know uh, bring together my art and my music and uh, in a way that I hadn't before. Just to sort of say here, here, here's me in both aspects, you know, and they're not they're not totally separate. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've asked you the question and I haven't let you answer it. <laughs> Which how, one? How do we refine the romance uh, in the world so mm. that we can care enough to write about mm-hmm. anything? But especially, I will never let you down, which is something that's harder to say. As you oh. get older and you realize you will let everyone down. <laughs> That's and true. It, it's They're, just a very idealistic it, it is, yeah. uh, statement. Yeah. My my bass player, Damon, uh, insisted that we call the album that I Will Never Let You Down because he saw it as such an earnest sentiment. And, uh, and it is. And I felt a little um, strange about it because a lot of my songs have a certain wordplay and... Um, you know, I like I like to play with double yeah. meanings and things like that. But that one's straightforward, yeah, <laughs> straight you shooting. Like to poke a hole in any kind of uh, facade, facade, or you know, um, yeah. And so in this one, you're being utterly earnest and of the highest I ideals. Guess, I guess so. Yeah, and it's really beautiful and a hard thing to do as you get older. I'd say. Yeah. It's it's very much me, feels like the sentiment of a <laughs> of a twenty you, year old that you put your hand over your heart when you say it <laughs> and like it feels like Shakespearean youth you know I guess yeah uh, yeah I mean this th- we haven't really shown this video to anyone you were like the first person I showed it to my friend Jason Wish now just uh, com- made it and we're gonna unleash it next week so great and, and the album will come out next week it's called I will never let you down. Yeah, and we did a couple other videos. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. all great. Thank that you. one, though, I think rises above. Oh, good. I've got to say, 
Now, tell me the answer to the question. Oh. By reading Jack Kerouac, that's one way to do it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, just looking at these diaries makes me go, you can look at life this way. Mm-hmm. It's very romantic. I always tell people who are interested in art and drawing to never forget that feeling that you had when you were drawing when you were in kindergarten. Do you know what I mean? And I try to retain that idea when I make drawings and look around, you know? It's harder, yeah. But there's a certain play that you can um, enjoy as you're touching the pen to the paper or something. Yeah, but what about like <laughs> feeling things or writing a lyric like, I will never let you down and, and knowing that, you know, that's such a um, idealistic uh, expression. Mm-hmm. Well, I was uh, experiencing some heartbreak at that time yeah. when I wrote that song and I, I just thought, okay, I'm going to just, you know, pour it all down on this, pa- on this page. And um, then uh, as I'm distilling lyrics and refining them, then I think that jumped out and I said, okay, I'm going to keep that. That's, that's naked. That's weird. That's um, almost uh, over the top, right? Uh, like you said, when I put my hand to my heart or something. And so I decided to just go with it and because I knew it was a real uh, f- yearning, desperate feeling because I wanted to prove to somebody, I won't let you down, <laughs> you know, and um, I made it the, the, the chorus to the song. So I don't know if I can, uh, you know, stand by it completely, but I no, want to. But it's, it's idealistic, like you said. I think one of the challenges, too, as you get older, <clears throat> is you see things that you made become commerce, mm-hmm. and you thought they were so much more than that. And they were so much more than that to you when you were younger. And then they're just commerce, and there's no way you can argue that that's, I want to say wrong, or, you you know, the, you just got to go, oh, well, that's the world. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. And it becomes harder to care again, because the thing you cared about before got turned into mm-hmm. just a... Commercial product. Commercial product, which on some level it is. That's right. okay. Because we're, we're, you know, we're working make, within that parameter right yeah we're saying we want to make our art and sell it and we want it to make us some we want to make enough money off it to live but then it's sort of like how could you argue if paul mccartney was here and he said (laughs) and you said to him when you sing hey jude you still feel those feelings and he said not even remotely right you'd have to say well yeah you've sang it 30 yeah Thousand, but he feels the melody. Thousand times, right? I think it's ninety. But yeah, he he would feel the melody, right? Maybe, hopefully, like he might not feel the lyrics, right? But don't you think uh, the the melody? I mean, when I see like Elton John did like how many shows, and and when you when you did you see any of Elton John retiring anything? I like read some interviews or whatever, and I remember thinking he is so past cooked. On his own work. He is like oh, he wasn't into years it? past. Well, how could he not be? Yeah, I guess. Las Vegas residency, can you imagine? Yeah. Every night just pumping it out. Of the... Yeah, but anyway, yeah, yeah. the point is, sick of, yeah. it's a natural progression to put these things out in the world. If they do well, you know, they're going to be repeated. And they lose their inner, their spirit gets dissipated, it mm-hmm. seems. It makes it, although I would argue it's hard to read on the road and not get swept up in it. But mm. I think there are a lot of naysayers, though. Yeah, go ahead. Um, no, I, I'm just aware. I'm aware of that that there's that that loving Kerouac pegs us as something. 
<laughs> well, I think the spirit is alive in this it, guy. Me too. In his totally. Writing. I'm into it. Yeah. What do you feel about the way in which he ended so poorly? Like I, I feel that his the any wisdom that he might have gotten from feeling these things and sharing them and ex- asking himself, "What do I care about?" should have helped him be a better person. I, I, I. But he was so raw and sensitive, and it crushed him. You know, right? And he took refuge in alcohol. The challenge of becoming an older artist and carrying on making things with some degree of love and genuineness it's hard to write a song like i will never let you down when you're older and you have to dig a little harder and you have to almost Mm. disconnect from yourself to Mm. to go there whereas when you're younger it's just an extension of yourself and i think that maybe he just didn't see that or Mm -hmm. i'm gonna go back to my original premise how (laughs) bad would you have felt if Jack Kerouac was in the in the audience of a Tony Robbins video, <laughs> cheering him on and writing down notes and clapping and jumping up and down and then walking over hot coals for 15 feet and then going, that's it. I'm done with alcohol. Fuck it. Right. Well, who, you know, I, I can't not, even picture that, but who? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would be great if he was still alive. There's a lot of heroes of mine that would be great to see if they were still alive. But but then if he'd written more, would it have been anywhere near no, as... No, I don't think so. I watch really closely. Everybody, all artists, and I have a feeling you do too, you know, actors, writers, um, artists, musicians, and watch the arc of their careers and say to myself, oh, wow, he or she is starting to slip there in his or her... 60s, for example, okay, whatever. Let me, then let's talk about you know what I mean? Paul McCartney's last album, which I liked. And Paul Simon's latest stuff is good. Great. Did you like McCartney's last album? Um, uh, I don't know if I've heard it. It's not all, you know, gold, okay. but it, I'd say it's equal to any yeah. Wings album. Yeah, and I love it's, that, that it's you, like, you can have it, a second birth. A second and I, bur- honestly, a second... I, it's my favorite of his solo albums. Really? Yeah. The recent one? Yeah. I'll have to check. And there's a song in there. You're probably going to disagree with me. I think most people would, but I. It's my favorite. There's some great solo McCartney albums with some great songs. I just think it's, in a way, the most challenging of his albums that he was challenging himself. He sings a song about partying, Mm -hmm. and it's like (laughs) he's 82. Yes, yes. (laughs) But it's great. It has great energy in it. It's got great. Like fuck it, we're gonna fucking party. Mm-hmm, and I'm like, mm-hmm. even having that he's, sentiment. He's tapping into yeah. whatever it was that he had when he really did party, right? Because he can't imagine. Or well, maybe, maybe he, he... Maybe he still parties in his own way, right? In his own way. <laughs> but it has guts to it, I'd I, say. I that, agree. That song. I want to hear it now. Yeah. Right? But this is about my album, not Paul McCartney. <laughs> <No>. I know, <laughs> but... Um, so your album and this we I have challenge. a party song on there too. It's called One Night. Oh, yeah. And it's I, a great song. Thank you. It's a great song. It's your first uh, single, right? Yes. Off this. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Like, it's talk about one night. All right. It's that's Yeah, it's a party song. It's kind of a, a Cajun kind of Calypso um, African kind of rhythm. And um, we haven't landed on exactly what it is, but it's just two chords. It's easy to play. And um, it just by default became the single that we launched the record with. And it's people like it, and the video came together magically, and um, yeah. So that's all. It's really it's great. exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Um, is that the one that mixes live with uh, your art? 
Or they all uh, do on this, this uh, on this uh, all three videos. So yeah, far. they all three have some art in it, but this yeah. one is me like dancing and, and oh yeah, that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Which sounds ridiculous on paper to me, but when I just felt like oh, I can do this, I can I can get in front of the camera and, and jump around for this, yeah. and it, and it will be honest and it won't be uh, cringeworthy, and so that worked. Yeah. For for me, anyway. But I, you know, when I got the prompt or whatever for this podcast, they said we should address why you're even here in the first place, and it's because you've been very supportive of of my art and music over the years. And I remember we, listening to Railroad Jerk. Thanks. And then I bought White Hassle. Right. You mentioned that. And uh, I don't know if I even drew the connection between those two things very quickly. <laughs> yeah. This guy's voice sounds familiar. Right. So you were in New York at that time, right? In in, in the nineties. No, no, no. I got those when I was in L.A. Okay. So I came to them late. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how I found them or stumbled across them, but yeah. I was not in New York anymore. Okay. I never saw you or knew. But if I knew about you then, I would have come to see you. Okay. Me too. I would have come know? to see you. But <laughs> there was a lot of comedians, I guess, that I found out later that were really into the music scene. And yeah, yeah. So so that was cool. For me to meet several comedians, you included. Who Who did you know um, in the early days? John what? Benjamin? Or, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and John Glazer and David Cross and Todd Berry and where, Chelsea at Peretti. pianos and, when they were doing that stuff? Um, yes, before? at pianos and also uh, inv- um, invite them were... up. Invite, mm-hmm. you know, Eugene Merman, Bobby Tisdale yeah, show, yeah. and uh, Eric Sloven. Yeah. And, uh, See, all that stuff for me... I was in L.A. Okay. When that shit started. Okay. And um, I would argue, and um, this might be myopic of me to to do, but I think I could make a mountain argument that indie comedy or kind of alternative comedy started in L.A., not here in New York. Mm-hmm. You motherfuckers. <laughs> you motherfuckers. Wow. Okay. I don't even know. And which of this fucking place, where did they do it here? Um that was a place here, and everybody was like, oh, that's where the scene started. No. Wow. L.A., Big and Tall Books probably is the first place, but then uh, the Uncabaret, mm-hmm. and then five years later, mm-hmm. New, New York, York started having <laughs> Luna Lounge. Okay. Uh-huh, yeah. Started. Okay. Five years I thought later. there was like, I didn't- Not a few months uh, uh, later. This this tribalism is new to me. I didn't know there was this rivalry. I mean, in the comedy world. Well, it's this thing of like, it was such a slow startup. Mm. There was almost a feeling of like, I'm in LA, you know, acting and stuff. And people are like, have you ever heard of alternative comedy? It started <laughs> in New York. Like, I was there yeah, when it started. Right. It was here. Right. And in Chicago, right? I'm sure stuff happened in Chicago. That was the scene that you're describing that you knew the comics from. And, right, and I was right. kind of moved along. Look, stand up for me was always a, challenge it still is i don't really know what my voice is in Mm. that arena Mm -hmm. for me it only existed as uh, i write comedy Mm -hmm. there's a wide latitude of freedom in alternative comedy as opposed to say performing at the improv or the comedy store which i've done Mm -hmm. but which i inevitably you know let the audience down and I can feel it happening because I'm not doing anything they can identify easily as mm. the kind of comedy they paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, but alternative comedy has such freedom within mm. it. You know, you can mount anything. I mean, you can do a sketch up there. Right. And people are doing pretty wildly variant shit. Mm. And so that was a place that I was able to work in better. <laughs> um, 
even that was like I wasn't committed to on a level that could get me a, mm -hmm. a solid presentation. But you found a, a great niche. Or, or, you know, I don't know or if you found, found me, it. Right. It found me, yeah. yeah. I mean, sketch comedy I always loved, and yeah. I still love. You still do, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I did a show with my son a few <clears throat> months ago at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago, and I'm trying to get him to do another one, but I can't get him to do it. And then we also started doing some Bob and Ray type stuff mm. me and my son nate right where we he just now? do interviews yeah and uh we come up with sort of characters and questions and then he interviews me and i play the characters and we have a timer a three minute timer oh. and so you know the character is going to change the audience can see the timer so they know they've got three minutes with this person mm. we've done it two or three times and it's really fun mm. and uh so i might try to do more of that but this is just playing around Mm -hmm. on stage and you really need a, a tolerant audience because mm -hmm. it's not um refined in right. any way and uh i've always needed that i i just can't i tried numerous times where i said okay let's go we're mm -hmm. gonna create a stand-up act for <laughs> right. me right. i just can't ever do it right. i just get bored with the material yeah. i'm like fuck that yeah. i want to do something else yeah and but that's what i loved about reading your book is that you you just keep persevering and driving forward and trying new things and and that's amazing and 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 the failure doesn't deter you you just keep going and and, uh. and you find your way or it finds you like you said and i also love you just mentioned your son but the way you collaborated with your your daughter as well with yeah. that children's book um i think that's really cool i don't have kids thanks but, buddy well, those are tricky choices to make you know uh collaborating with your kids oh uh, i bet um, because yeah. You know, my son is very much like, look, dad, they're here to see you. I'm glad for you. I'm happy for you, but I'm doing my own thing. Don't you trying me. to make my way. He's so smart. He knows that there's a degree of uh, acceptance that we get walking out on stage that is nothing like what he would get mm -hmm. if he was alone. He's aware of that. And yeah. he's very acutely aware that this is artificial. This has nothing to do with our material. One thing we do to try to alleviate that a little is we don't say hi. We come out on stage and start doing the bit. Oh, you don't say hi to the audience. Just to try to diminish the, I'm Bob Odenkirk right, and right. you're seeing me and I see you and that's why you're here. And right. Just like, here's the comedy. Yeah. That, you can judge us on that. Like it or don't like it, but that's what we're here to do. We're not here to revel in the fact that I've acted in some popular things. Right. And But it's still hard because I think he feels like I got a I got a hard road. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be feeling deluded by mm -hmm. these presentations I yeah. do with my dad. That makes sense, right? Yeah, it does. On the other hand, then you get into the comedy and it either works or it doesn't. I mean, at some point the audience goes, "Okay, we're glad you're here, but yeah. what's the bit?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make us laugh. And uh and I think we've delivered. Mm -hmm. Um anyway, there's all kinds of tricks to it. I mean, the book with my daughter, Erin, is a great example, too, of like, I know she's thinking, will this only sell because mm -hmm. my dad's famous or mm -hmm. will it sell because we came up with something worthwhile? And uh, I think that one of the great things that happened with this book, um, Zillit is what it's called, mm -hmm. is that we were turned down in our first um, presentation to the publishers. They all said Several no. times, right? Many times, yeah, right? That's amazing. Yeah, they all said no, the top me. five. Yeah. One of them called and said, well, I want to explore a book with you, but it has to be louder, crazier <laughs> references to anime and kind of a certain kind of artwork that is working for young people. Hmm. 
that is very loud and yeah intense. And uh, we actually talked about what would that version of this book be, uh-huh. and just realized that it just didn't fit with what we were had had come up with. And so we asked ourselves, what is our book about? Is there a deeper level to the to what it its themes might be? Mm-hmm. And and we realized that you know language words um, that are maybe outside a normal kid's vocabulary are, are common in the book and using the one poem that is about a book about a word that my son yeah I love that um, just brought home that family thing that you you talk about and the the title of the book itself yeah too. It's, I mean one of the challenges there was I knew that we were traipsing a bit into Shel Silverstein world mm-hmm. because if you're gonna write poems for kids you're gonna write poems about food going to bed, you know, taking a bath. Right. They're going to be there. They're animals. That's their right. world. Yep. Those are the things that matter in their world. Right. That get talked about. Yeah. That have tension around them. Yeah. But you guys had a family book that you yeah. wrote way before this oh, yeah, book, yeah, yeah, which yeah, I yeah, thought was yeah. really cool. And you were attempting to instill in your kids a love of creativity and understanding of it, right? Yeah. And I think a belief more than anything yeah. that... I am worthy of writing something down. Yeah, I love that. And trying to create something. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you had that struggle and maybe still do, and I do too, of like, wait, mm-hmm. who am I to think I could do yeah. this? But you're an inspiration because you you just buckle down and do it. And yeah, we both recognize that uh, that voice in us that that says no, the naysayer, right? But uh, Well, there's some part of me that, the imposter syndrome, as you mentioned. Yeah, and, and and that's been difficult for me, especially the last, like, five years. There's something about my ability to push that away. I wouldn't say it was weakened, but it was just a lot of work yeah. to keep pushing back against I think I that. know what you mean, yeah. I was going to say, most people would probably be surprised to hear you say that, right? Because, oh, you've had all this success and, and building on things and accomplishments, and then suddenly you're saying, oh, now I'm feeling more and more like an imposter, right? I don't know if this is right, but as we get older, we sort of look back on our childhood or get more in touch with that one, not in touch with, but remember that self that we were as a kid. And uh, and then that comes back, that 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 uh, the questioning of who, who we are and then whether we're worth it or whether we can measure up or something like that. I, I think know. I got exhausted by the um, degree to which it feels like a performance being... Mm. Uh, presentable <laughs> uh, in a on a level where you know a lot of people are are potentially watching you or listening to you, mm-hmm. and uh, I use this metaphor too much. It's it's like um, being at a table at a wedding. You know how when you go to a wedding, you're seated potentially with the bride's cousins and her uncle and the groom's friend and his mom, who he brought as a date. And so there's people there who know your work from Mr. Show, and there's people there who are extremely religious and sweet and old and mm-hmm. don't, you know, aren't there to be assaulted by your uh, harsh estimations of life and the world. <laughs> and so you're very kind and you um, right. try to translate everything you say. Right. You know, you say things like, well, one of the TV shows I was on is called Breaking Bad. <laughs> you probably wouldn't like it. It's very violent. Right, right, right. Um, but it does seem to work for a lot of people around mm-hmm. the world. It's done very well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's on a place called Netflix now. Uh, that <laughs> yeah, yeah. you've heard of Netflix? Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's one of the. So you're talking about this kind of performance as well. Yes. You're stretching yourself really thin because you're appeasing all these people. Well, you're or just very not, aware. Yes. As of how it reads, and I think that that so many people are watching you. Yes. But they don't know your voice yeah. in any organic, yeah. original way. Yeah. And if you're a considerate person, which I try to be, right. you want them to be included. Yeah. With my music, I do the same thing. And my art, too. I try to ex- read who, who I'm talking to first and then explain to them in a way that makes sense. Well, I think that's great on some <laughs> level. Yeah. It can be a stretch and a sweat. Is that Midwestern of us? It is Midwestern of us. <laughs> right. The second city. Yeah. What, what city would take on that title? With some degree of pride. <laughs> right. Well, you know, Minneapolis called itself the mini apple Aww. at one point. It was a PR thing. <laughs> and, and then Both. part of you and part of me is like, fuck that shit. <laughs> fuck Minneapolis. Yes. Fuck New York. Yes. We're fucking Minneapolis. Don't fucking say that. Right, right. You know, but then. We're Chicago. Yeah. yeah or we're Chicago. Don't call yourself the second city. I don't, don't, don't. Right. I forgot that. Don't that's... join in. Yes. I, even in a. I'm included. I understand. Yeah. That's okay. I accept it. I, I embrace it. I'm going to call myself the second city. How about that? No, no you don't, be you, right? Just be you and don't apologize. Yes. But I think I've, I got exhausted by that sense of myself and that awareness. Mm-hmm. As thankful as I am for the degree of success that came to me. Mm-hmm from all these wonderful things, many of which I didn't do anything to deserve or earn. Oh, come on. No, I mean, I didn't even audition for Breaking Bad. Yeah, but you, know, I you did all them... the things ahead of that to to make it happen karmically. <laughs> I think the, the hardest thing I did was uh, the first two seasons of Better Call Saul. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. Why? It, well... It was really out of my depth, hmm. way, way out of my depth. I mean, the character I played Being on Breaking Bad was kind of funny. Right. He was kind of surface. Right. He was a, admittedly surface. He told yep. Walter White in the first time you see him, I'm putting on a show. I'm not any of this stuff. Right, right. And so from there on, except for one or two moments, there are two moments in Breaking Bad that I, I would point to as being digging a little deeper under the surface of this character of Saul where he showed a deeper s- personality. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that um, the writers that allowed that to happen or yeah. you? No, the writers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as an actor, you're just trying to justify what the character is doing or saying. And in these two moments, one being in the office where he tells Walter White, you know, maybe you should quit while you're ahead, mm-hmm. which is very against the character of Saul in a way, because mm-hmm. what does he care? Yeah. He never cared these these other characters were all in you know danger mm-hmm. but he was not so right. who what does he give a shit he didn't give a shit if walter white goes to jail or gets killed by the he's just making money off the guy right so it, then, and you could argue that at that point in the journey he saw was a little bit in the crosshairs uh, uh, but the truth is it 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 just went against his character to tell walter white to just quit right. take the money and stop so maybe that's the germ of Better Call Saul, because then suddenly there. Well, I would argue there's an even stronger moment, and I should identify what episode this is because I reference it occasionally when I'm talking about this character. But he's taken Jesse, 
he's, he's gone to deliver a, a message and I think a gift to Jesse's girlfriend and Brock, her son, who Jesse's become close to these people, but he can't see them anymore because he's in such trouble. And so Saul is delivering something to them. And then he gets back in the car and he tells Jesse, you should go talk to them. Mm. They're right there. Go see them. Mm -hmm. They want to see you and you should do that. Now, that, again, is a great example of... Now, Saul has no... There's no plus right. to that. In fact, there's negatives. Uh -huh. It shows a sensitivity and a care and a humanity mm -hmm. to that character that does not have a, a justification outside of... He's a human, too, yeah. and yeah. he is. Buried yeah. in there is a person. And that was the, the, the challenge for you, those first two well, years? Well, it was a great moment to feel like, wow, this is neat. I'm getting to show that there's a soul inside yeah. this guy. But then the Better Call Saul challenge was so much greater. Mm. It was that times yeah. 50. Right. You know, Saul really, they, they dug through that character and dug deep to show other sides of him. And, and it worked. It worked, but it was hard for me to do. It yeah. was really hard. It was really hard. I never took acting classes, and I think you learn a lot from you can learn a lot from that, and there's all different schools of acting. There's a great book called The Method yeah. that came out, I think, a, two years ago, uh -huh. and it's about the journey of the acting schools, um, Stanislavski and stuff, um, and it's really cool to read because you get to see these different approaches and mm -hmm. how they developed and offshoots of each other. And the truth is, I think any actor is using some version of one of those schools. Mm -hmm. And any of them work depending on who you are right. as an actor. You, you know, it's a very personal journey, uh, that, that career, that job. And I think whatever I'm doing, if you broke it down and I shared it with somebody who really understood, would put it in, the, in one of those schools or in a crossover. Right. But I had to start doing that work of like, how do I, how do I, present these feelings and play them and, and make them come alive. Yeah. And where do I find those things inside me yeah. to play these sides of this guy? And it was a lot of, it was a sweat. It was, like, it was hard. So I lost my voice completely doing the first episode of Better Call Saul. The weekend before we shot, I completely lost my voice. Why? Yeah, stress? stress. Yeah, that's an interesting. Stress, yeah. Anxiety? Anxiety and stress, yeah. yeah. Wow. And so when you say work, and I guess there's, yeah, anxiety and stress is part of that, right? But you also buckled down and, and, and I did. did a bunch of um, research. and You know, weirdly, all that stuff pales to digging into your past and mm -hmm. yourself and your feelings and conjuring them up into the present mm -hmm. and, uh, and kind of staying there. You know, a shoot day is... On Saul, especially in the early years, was between 12 and 16 hours mm. every single day. That's and insane. I was in everything except for one. There was one episode I wasn't in uh. of the first 10. Right. But, and when he was in, he was on, he was talking. Right, right. Yeah, you talk about that in your memoir about Brian Cranston telling you that it's just 24-7. Yeah. Yeah. And he was right. Yeah. And maybe even more so for Saul because. I mean, Walter White was all over the screen too, but Saul talks when he's on screen. He doesn't right. watch. You had a lot anything. to to he's dialogue, yeah, yeah, all the time, right? So there's a lot to memorize. Right. 
So how does it must feel great? I mean, it was really just sitting and thinking. I think one of the fears I have right now is will I ever do that again? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I was gonna It's almost like if somebody said to you, Marcellus, because of circumstances, you need to do a triple album. And you need to do (laughs) I have enough I have enough material. You need to do two triple albums in the next two years <laughs> i'd love that challenge would you but but i know what you're, you're getting at that the, you don't how think, do you tap into the 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 real thing the, the, the soul the, whatever the, the amount of work concentration yes, yes. and sort of self immolation yeah <laughs> self digging right excavation uh, excavation that i needed to do on a daily basis for months at a time yeah in the first two years, mm-hmm. compounded by the fear of, I mean, am I going to do this right? Do I really? Mm-hmm. I don't really know but what you, I'm doing. But you did do it right, or and I got better at it. Right? I mean, listen, yeah. the third season I went back. Yeah. Whenever you, you went back, you, you hadn't been doing it for eight months, you know. Right. And those first two weeks were particularly nerve wracking. But the third season I went back, and I remember feeling like, well. I can get really nervous about this, like I did the last two years, mm-hmm. or, not. or I can just say, "Well, this is it. This yeah. is what you get. This is me. I've done the character. Right. I have my procedures uh, craft to get into it, and it'll either be good or not. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it my all. Mm-hmm. That's not the question. But I can't get all scared and sad and worried and mm-hmm. fearful." Mm-hmm. It's just this is what I got, and and I think that helped me a lot to get to mm-hmm. that place. Mm-hmm. But that was season three. And uh, it doesn't does that come with age too, or is it just because of all the success and work that you had gone through for the first two seasons? That ability to disconnect a little bit from the yeah from the fear or from something? the fears. Yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh. I wonder myself, you know. But I, then you want some fear, right? Yeah, you do. Well, you can't get rid of I remember it, doing stand-up at Largo one night, and my son was probably a year old, and or so I'd been, you know, I I just I just love being with my kids. That right. was the greatest time of my life. Nothing will beat the first five years of their lives. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> There's nothing more entertaining than a kid. I mean, that's yeah. nothing beats it. You can't. Yeah. No movie. Nothing. I, ha- I have a single mother friend who has a six-year-old, and I've loved um, spending uh, very, over the last five years' times with that uh, child of hers. And I, I, I understand a little bit what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's so amazing. Yeah. And uh, and I remember going to do stand-up. So it's you know all already kind of a secondary endeavor for me. Mm-hmm. Now it's tertiary at best because I'm thinking about my kid and trying to write during the day and. But I'm going to keep doing some stand-up. Every two weeks, I'm doing a set. And I, and I go to Largo, and I'm tired because I'm getting up every night. And I do that thing you do at 2 a.m. when you're driving. I go, I'm talking to the audience and telling my little jokes. And I go, <laughs> and my head drifts off and my eyes close. And I pull my head up and go, fuck, you're on stage. On stage? You almost <laughs> oh, fell asleep? Yeah. That's amazing. But I remember thinking, you can't be that. You you have to be a little scared. Yes. From that point on, yeah. I was like, "Hey, yeah, yeah, let's get scared. Come on now, yeah. Let's give the audience that much respect. Yeah, yeah. Let's get a little scared that you're gonna fucking suck, and mm. that's not okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It, it matters. Yeah. Little fear is good, definitely. Yeah. And when you lose that, yeah, you got to conjure it up. I don't feel that I ever was in danger of losing that, but maybe there's a few. 
well, you, shows you where I've coasted an, or you something. You know, your 20th show on a tour. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, I do recall a, f- a couple like that. It's yeah. where you have to remind yourself that the person in the audience paid good paid hard for money. The ticket. Yeah. They haven't seen you 20 times. Yeah. You're on your 20th show. They have yeah. this is their only time they're going to see you maybe yeah. in their life. Yeah. They like you. They want to see a great show. Mm-hmm. And you put yourself in their head and think, "Let's go." Yeah. Be a little scared. Yeah. Let's and, go. And you also I remember in those moments too I would try really hard to tap into what I love about playing music, you know, or in order to satisfy that what what the audience member needs and deserves. I would tap into, um, try anyway, go back to that time when just the strumming the guitar was so exciting, you know? Well, can I tell you one of the things I love about a live show that I wonder why more, isn't more of an ethos of musicians when I watch them perform live? It is some. I've heard the song. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've heard it hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. I would like to see you experience the song somewhat fresh mm-hmm. as best you can be achieved yep. by looking at each other, feeling like you're in a, a studio, like I'm watching you guys fuck around a little bit. Be excited or, or be loose. Surprise each other. Yeah. 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 That matters. Yeah. That's important. And you probably couldn't do that on every song or it would become a mess. Yeah. But to pick like two songs a night where you go, mm. we're going to go not, you do something. Yeah. 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 Do something fucked up. Yeah. You, you know, let's have a, let's do an opening to that song. I'll start on my guitar. Nobody join in until, yeah. even though we have never done that, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. going to show it to you right now. You're going to have to catch on. <laughs> yeah. Those are valid tricks, I think, that a musician employs. And I, we've done things like that. Um, I feel like, you know, keeping rigid uh, parameters in terms of how the song is structured is important, at least for me and my band. And then within those parameters, I mess around vocally, for example. But we got to go back to the original question because we talked about <laughs> reading Jack Kerouac mm-hmm. to reconnect. And the question is what? And the question is how do you reconnect? Sustain. How do you write a song yeah. like I Will Never Let You Down, realizing <laughs> that this is a youthful sentiment, mm-hmm. but I still need it in my life because I need it in my life. You know, I'm married for 26 years. Yeah. And my wife's going to be mad at me. I bet we're at 27 already. And <laughs> What the fuck? You can't. But um, I still want to feel that way yeah. towards my wife. Yeah, yeah. I still want to look at her and put my hand. You guys should her. have date nights every once in a while. Well, <laughs> we're getting better at all that okay. stuff. We are now that the kids are grown up. Yeah, you know, we're getting better at hanging out together more and yeah, having a good time. Yeah, yeah. It's hard when kids are little and your lives are just a schedule. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But tell me more about staring into the void and trying to feel feelings. By the way, I made a movie that's kind of about this in a way called Girlfriend's, Girlfriend's Day. Day, which you in which you used my song, remember? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is to me about, yeah, how do I feel feelings again? He's an older guy. Yeah. He's supposed to write romance cards. Yeah. And he doesn't feel love for anybody. Yeah. Right, right. But this girl comes along and she makes him feel in love, and right. he's able to write this card, and then he realizes she was manipulated to do it because somebody's got to write this great card, and if he can write it, th- whatever they can have this holiday. <laughs> girlfriend's day. Girlfriend day. Do- girlfriend's, girlfriend's day. Plural. Yeah. 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 People should go check that out. 
I hope so. You know, I don't know. Some people are confused by it, but I, it's one of my favorite things I've ever done. I was happy to be a part of it. That was That's a great premise too. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much I've done that I love. Oh, really? Okay. How do you feel? I mean, like, I mean, the, yeah, 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 really, I know what you really. Mean. There's well, a couple Mr. Show scenes. Hmm. There's a couple Mr. Show episodes. That's really interesting. Not many, but yeah. a few where I go that whole episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is shocking to me, that yeah. whole episode. Yep. Um, the one with uh, mediocrity in it uh-huh. uh, is the best, I would yeah. say, overall the best Mr. Show episode in yeah. that it works as a piece yeah. as a whole. Most of them don't really work as a whole. They're fun. Mm-hmm. They go to a lot of fun places, but that's the only time we touch the hem of Monty Python's garment. <laughs> right. But, but that uh, leads me to uh, think of this other thing that I've been pondering, which is uh, how you look back on things and how you change. And uh, suddenly the thing that you, you, you were so proud of looks different as you get older. Um, There's a song I I wrote called um, Life is Still Sweet, and everybody uh, celebrated that song. It got a lot of attention, and and I always thought, oh, yeah, that was a landmark for me. That was a great song I wrote. And and then I always thought, yeah, the recording is great, and I would send it out to people. Check this out. This is one of my hallmark, you know, moments. But then recently we were making a video for it, you know, way after the fact, and suddenly the the sound of it was grating on me and the way we re-recorded it. I guess I still like the song, but I was suddenly, I, for so long I'd thought, oh, it was a perfect recording or something, but now, and so I don't know, I'm not necessarily right in having uh, skepticism about it now, but I'm recognizing that I changed or, you know, my, my taste of, of the sound of, of how a recording should be changed. I got very lucky with Mr. Show. Mm-hmm. I feel very good about that project yeah. and, and the way we put it together and it still feels pretty awesome to me. Yeah, honest, fresh, innocent, and you were being, yeah, you were, you guys had room to explore whatever, right? There's a few scenes where I feel like we made the mistake of trying to make it work. I had a, I was kind of working against what I'd been through at Saturday Night Live, where things were attacked and abandoned and destroyed before they had a chance to grow. And I went to Mr. Show, and I said, let's take everyone's ideas that even remotely seem good and see if we can't build them into something great. Hmm. And we did that, and we did it really well. Meaning like, you and David or, or a the whole, whole bunch, everybody? Staff. That's that really like democratic, isn't it? The mission. You know, yeah, in the end, it was David and I making choices. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, it was really democratic. There wasn't too many cooks in the kitchen. In the end, it was just me and David. Right. You know, and we were kind of 50 50 exactly. Right. And David's an interesting guy in that he has a very strong point of view, but backed into a corner, he is absolutely able to compromise. see all sides. Uh. Not even compromise. No. He's a contrarian when given the freedom to yeah. be. But when that freedom is taken away from him, yeah. he is a very considerate. Yeah. Thoughtful, smart, see all sides <laughs> person. Right. He's absolutely able to do that. Mm. Um, so we talked about let's let's just say this. You don't use ketamine <laughs> or even pot no. or anything like that to find your way into a creative space that believes in love and life. No. Uh-uh. No. You either, right? <laughs> uh, I did uh, do a ketamine treatment with a therapist. Oh, 
I did one. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's in vogue. You know, I always, years ago when I tried mushrooms, um, which was in college, I remember thinking this, sh there's a better use for this than just getting high and wandering around. Therapy. Like, this is like opening something up. How great would it be that they yeah. have this now? Yeah. You can be with someone who's mm -hmm. not high, mm -hmm. who's talking to you, listening to you, helping you think about what it means that you're having this awareness. Mm -hmm. And then later I went back to that therapist to talk <clears throat> about how, what I, you know, the residue, the remainder, what I got from that. Mm -hmm. yeah, I th that's great, I think. Yeah. I think that's totally worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, my experiences with psychedelics was like that too. And I do think it can help with what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, life beats you down. Yep. <laughs> and as rewarded as I've been, which is massively, don't worry yeah. about me. Yeah. Actually, I mean, he, really, you still, life becomes yeah. schedules and payments and tension. But you know, and you know this better than anybody, but humor is a is a, a way to fight all of this too, right? Having, retaining that sense of humor, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like that's one of my tools myself. I uh, think even, I like, even I that laugh. can be hard though to be as spirited and creative as you were when you were younger. Yeah. I think a lot of older man humor <laughs> becomes uh, simply grousing, simply uh, true, bitching. True, there's that danger, yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, a way in, definitely. Yeah. I remember thinking one of the things that David and I did when we were writing Mr. Show was you'd show up in the morning and you'd literally say, you know what really pissed me off? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. some stupid- Grousing. Yeah. yeah. It's a great place to start. Yeah. It's just sometimes, I know later George Carlin specials when he mm -hmm. was older, mm -hmm. you know, verged on, yep. well, he's just a bitchy old man. He's yeah. not- yeah. You know, he's just enlarging on that point of view. That's all he's doing. He's not going anywhere. Uh-huh. I think I saw some of that too. Spirited. In, in clips of him, yeah. You know, still great. I mean, really great. Yeah. Yeah. So no drugs. Right. But I, yeah, there are artists uh, who, whose careers I watch in, in all of the arts who, like you mentioned, Paul McCartney, for example, who have a second wind, uh, who uh -huh. later uh, resuscitate some of that enthusiasm as a as, that they had when as a young person and uh, I get a lot of inspiration from that. I don't know if you and I will will experience it, you know, as we move on and, and Well, I think one of the challenges I have and I'm at a great juncture right now, mm -hmm. like literally right now mm -hmm. <laughs> today. Uh but seriously, uh, in this moment is um I did all this stuff. I worked a lot in the last 15 years and I've put this break in I stopped saying yes to things a mm -hmm. few months ago. Mm. So I was able to turn it all down, which was very hard to do. And yeah. And I I think if I can divorce myself a little from my public persona, which you can never really get your own head around your own how people see you. Yeah. And I can just daydream a little. You know, when I was a little kid, I I that's my favorite thing in the world is daydreaming. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seriously, it's a weird thing, but it's you mean like, like lying in the grass, looking at the clouds, or, or what? Oh, you... Riding a bike <laughs> right. around. Bike riding, yeah. Uh, I do that. Yeah, it's meditative. My, I walked home. This is what a different world it was. We were talking about hitchhiking earlier. Yeah. When I was four, and I went to kindergarten, and I did. I went when I was four, which is one of the well, reasons way ahead of I the rest of college us. Yeah. when I was sixteen. Yeah. It's because I started early. <laughs> I would walk home alone from school. Wow. 
That's unheard of now, right? Unheard of? Yeah. Now, the school was, I want to say, a block and a half away. Mm-hmm. It might have been two, mm-hmm. but that's as far as it was. It was yeah. down there and, uh, and over to my house right. in LaGrange, Illinois. Uh-huh. And uh, my grandma, who lived nearby, drove by and saw me walking home. <laughs> and she called my mom to say, does he ever make it home? <laughs> because I was just walking along, poking at a oh, rock with a stick. Yeah. You know, not walking very forcefully or in a, you know. Right. And I think that it's, I get this window here to do that again. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I most of all need to do that. And the challenge is, can you really divorce yourself from the way you perceive the world perceives you mm-hmm. in, in your desire to give them what they ask for, give them what mm. they expect, right? but rather just go, fuck that shit. Be yourself somehow. What do I want to make? Reconnect. What yeah. do I want to do? Don't worry about what they expect. Don't worry about what they want. Mm-hmm. And just c- try to get back in touch with that. Yeah. And I, I, I'm going to try to do that. Yeah. I love that you're um, articulating that because I think it's really valid. And uh, as, you know, being someone who's similar in age as you, I, I recognize that too. Just to um, push aside all the demands that we felt were necessary growing up and then suddenly reconnect. Yeah. Well, one thing you just talked about a little while ago that I relate to is I think you don't take for granted the audience's awareness of you or where they come to, but rather you write a song you were saying and think about, I want to share this with somebody almost with fresh ears, like mm-hmm. somebody who's never heard me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they press play on this. Song. Yeah. I mean, that's actually not so easy to do. And I don't think a lot of artists do that. I think a lot of artists, they build whatever they're making directly out of what they've done or the way they believe they're perceived. Mm-hmm, and that works mm-hmm, fine. Mm-hmm. But in other words, it would be like, well, it's it's you going, nothing I've done. I'm just going to new album and it's mm-hmm. got to work. Every song has to reach out and yeah. be itself yeah. and be findable. Yeah and understandable by a person who cares. I mean, you can yeah, never yeah. chase the people who don't care. That's the challenge. That's when people go wrong, is when they're yeah, chasing people who don't care. That's yeah. when you start to reach out and scream at the audience and go, I know you're <laughs> I know you're washing the dishes, but listen to me. Please yeah. listen to me over here. Yeah. Like let Des- them desperation. Yeah. But you're yeah, you're identifying this uh or burden that you have as uh as a, a well-known figure, right? And having accomplished so many things that you have a lot of expectation from people, right? And, and you're yeah. right. And, and, and you, I and don't so much. <laughs> I think sometimes artists get in hot water. And if you know what it, you, I relate to where they're at because they thought they were just being themselves and mm-hmm. making art. And the audience went, I don't want to hear that from you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, what do you mean from you? They're not the persona that you have devised for them. Or they devised themselves, right? Or they partially devised themselves. Yeah. It's a it's, but a it's only, hall of mirrors, right? Yeah. You have to be able to go, fuck that. I mean, look. Yeah. You got to find a way. There's some great people who've done it. Dylan's done it. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, Dylan, he's made a career of, of Dylan adhering can, to that. Yeah. Can only do that. I mean, he's amazing. I was going to bring him his up. his ability yeah. to... Just cast off expectation and just, yeah, dive in and be himself somehow. 
even if it's a wrong turn, he he makes it makes a lot of it gold, right? I think he's the uh, epitome of what we're talking about. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, he's a huge inspiration. Yeah, for me too. Is there going to be a second Chronicles book? I wonder. God, I wish there I was. I wonder. They could be fifty, I'm sure, because he can just yeah. go into that place and write. Yeah, but isn't there that, that that there's that also that whole controversy about where he just lifted a whole passage from Jack London or something and put it? I don't know if it was in Chronicles or not, but oh, I don't because he's about all that. about collaging things yes. and grabbing things, yes. you know, which which is what an artist well, does. You know, he wouldn't give a shit for getting called out. On no, he like hasn't. That. Yeah, and and same with his art, his paintings and stuff. Yeah. Somebody called him out on something, you know. But it's it is. Well, he's it, always like, I'm just copying. Yeah, right? he's a magpie. Yeah. Didn't That's he say once, like, I'm Cole Porter. I was just trying to copy Cole Porter. Right, yeah. Well, yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, even the you were talking about Monty Python, right? We all have yeah. our models, role models, right? Yeah. And yeah. we are doing our versions of them. Yeah. I just don't know what the next iteration of me is. It's going to be yeah. awesome. <laughs> oh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Marcellus. Bob. <laughs> so great talking to you, buddy. It was great talking to you as well. I'm sorry I talked so much. I have been saying no to podcasts. Mm. Lots of podcasters who might know that I did this, I apologize. <laughs> because I really don't want to be uh, doing this. Endless podcasts. Yeah. yeah, because I feel like, like I shared with you, this is a chapter I get to have where yeah. I don't have to be Well, um, I'm even more grateful. public persona. Thank you for coming. And whatever that is. And yeah. um, I, I, it's been great to feel like I have a, a spot here to not think about who that is. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, I felt talking to you would be different and I'm such a fan of your work and all your work, your art and your music. And so I want to share that with people. Thank you. I, you know, I'm a fan as well of your work <clears throat> and uh, love that we can connect on this, on these different levels, especially about creativity and, and getting older and things like that. And yeah. uh, I'm so grateful for your support. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, thanks for the chat. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast, and thanks to Marcellus Hall and Bob Odenkirk for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform and check out all the goodness at TalkHouse.com. This episode was recorded by Mark Yoshizumi and produced by Myron Kaplan. The TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time. <laughs>